Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Happiness Journey with Dr. Dan podcast, where every journey is worth living. My name is Dr. Dan, and I'm your host for today's episode. I'm a cognitive behavior psychotherapist specializing in anger management issues, both court-appointed and private, marriage counseling, dissociated identity disorders, narcissistic personality disorders, depression, anxiety, and so much more. So if you need any kind of assistance, reach out to DMV Counseling and Therapy Services at 301-325-1550, and we can help you out. Now, today, I'm very excited to have at our podcast a very special guest, Colin Jewett. Just like every of my past episode, I will leave it up to the guests to properly introduce themselves as no one can do a better job. Colin, the floor is yours, my friend. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Dan. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited to have our conversation today. I'll, I'll give myself a, a brief intro. I'm sure we'll kind of dig into to more of it later, but uh, I am a former miserable engineering student. That's <laughs> kind of I think we'll probably touch on that where some of this journey starts. And uh, these days I'm the director of coaching for Superhuman Academy. And we help people with uh, partnering with their brain instead of fighting their brain, understanding how their brain uh, works on a very practical level and how to learn faster, expand their memory, speed read, tackle difficult technical challenges, that kind of thing. So every day I get to help people to learn how to use their brain more effectively. That's what I do. Beautiful. Well, definitely in the same uh, field that you and I are. Um, so what brought you to become, like you said, originally you were an engineer that did engineering did help you to be able to uh, come up with that new career? Uh, <laughs> yes and no, maybe, but not like maybe not in the way that I would have liked it to. <laughs> so, yeah, the, where it started for me, I was I was at Purdue University in the engineering program, which is it's pretty difficult there. And a little backstory to that, I had always been a, a very good student. I had never struggled. It wasn't because I tried hard. It just was easy for me. So I just kind of breezed through grade school, high school, all that, no problem. I get to engineering school at Purdue and I'm on the opposite side of the spectrum. All of a sudden, I'm the one who is studying super hard and failing every exam and just <laughs> I was miserable and I was, it, it was just a total 180 and it, it really messed up my identity or, or maybe in a good way, but it really shook me, you know, and changed the way I saw things. And so that was the impetus, I guess, to start looking for ways that I could use my brain more effectively because I realized even though I had been successful before, it wasn't because I knew what I was doing. It was kind of unconscious success. <laughs> And then once I hit a challenge, I didn't have the tools or the know-how to, to overcome it at that point. I see. Okay. So um, if we go into uh, like delve into deep here and figure out exactly what was the missing component that you realized from high school success that you had no problem browsing through the classes and all to the more practical side of engineering was it civil was it mechanical industrial industrial yeah. wow this was pretty unique <laughs> so <laughs> what what really what did you figure out i mean in terms of like realizing that your brain was not really um doing or processing information the same way as it did when you were in high school mm -hmm. yeah so what i tell people all the time and this is kind of the re revelation that i had that really helped me is that genius is context dependent so you can take somebody who's 
an absolute genius in one area and put them somewhere else and all of a sudden <laughs> not so much and, and i think that's captured well by that famous einstein quote which i'll probably butcher but if you you know expect a fish to climb a tree it'll spend its whole life thinking it's stupid because it can't obviously because it's a fish um not the exact quote but that idea i think is captured well by my journey because i was i was a fish out of water and, and i think one thing that surprised me is that I really felt like the context hadn't changed that much. I mean, most people would see, okay, you, you succeeded academically. So why wouldn't you continue to see, succeed academically? Like what was the context shift there? And I think that's one of the reasons a lot of people struggle to recognize why they are no longer succeeding when maybe they have in the past is because the context doesn't seem to be different, but I'm sure you can you know expound on this it doesn't really matter what your actual environment is as much as your perceived environment. What is your perceived environment? That's what really matters because we live in a world of perceptions, right? And that that's how we interact with our, with our world. And so for me, even though they were both academic spaces, I was in a completely new perceived environment. I, for example, I moved into a house with 60 other guys <laughs> and I came from essentially living just with me and my parents and so that was a huge context change. It's totally different environment. And for me, it was like this lack of privacy and all of a sudden there's chaos everywhere and I'm used to quiet and order. And, and there were a bunch of other micro changes. I mean, just, just the, um, the way that we had to take tests and all these different things were, were changed. And so even though I had this set of skills that allowed me to get through grade school, that same set of skills in the new environment no longer worked. And it took me recognizing that that context changed to realize I need to be able to adapt to the new context. That's so that's where <laughs> the self-exploration began. Would you say that in high school, they kind of cocooned you a lot versus in Purdue University where they tell you like, you're on your own, there's no supervision. I mean, you study, you study, you don't, who cares kind of thing? <laughs> uh, I don't know. No, I don't think that was really it for me. And um I was always very independent, even in high school. Uh, I didn't really need, my, my parents never asked me about my grades or my homework. My, I just always did it by myself. So it wasn't the independence uh, for me. I know for some people that is the case. They feel like there's all of a sudden this freedom and that freaks them out. Uh, I think that shift happens even more for a lot of people shifting from college to the real, <laughs> the quote unquote, real world. <laughs> um, I've seen that a lot with people that I've worked with. Um, no, but I think for me, it was under, it was, it was going from a place where I could rely on the way that my brain processed information in high school to just kind of pick things up. You know, it would just pick things up. They would stick, whatever. And that wasn't the experience for a lot of other people. That was my experience. And then in college, I found that no longer be the case because the way that the information was communicated and the environment in which it was being communicated was completely different. And it was like, there was almost like an interference, like a barrier between me and the things I was supposed to learn and um, so what I teach now and what really transformed for me was recognizing that it's actually possible for you to kind of change the way that you process information or change the way that you perceive information. And so you can adapt to that environment. Uh, and that makes your, your genius much less context dependent <laughs> or allows you to adjust your context. So when was your Eureka moment? Ooh, uh, yeah, I have a very distinct moment where I think I kind of, at least the problem hit me so hard in the face that I knew I had <laughs> to change. Uh, for me, 
there was one week where I had three exams back to back to back and difficult subjects. It was like calculus three and physics and stuff like that. And I prepared as well as I possibly could. I, I did all the things you're supposed to do. I took all the notes. I studied the flashcards. I did practice problems. You know, all the stuff you're supposed to do in school and that you're told good students do. I failed all three of them. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. Yeah. Um, and so for me, that was like, okay, it, it's one thing to be doing the wrong things and to fail. It's another thing to be doing what is considered the right things mm-hmm. and then still to fail. That's a very like hopeless moment. And that's not just with school. That's with anything. If you feel like you're doing everything right, it's not working. It kind of just feels like there's no other options and you're stuck. And that's where I was. And that was what led me to cry out for help. (laughs) And um, I started by reaching out to my guidance counselor and she recommended the disability resource center. I got testing accommodations, things like that. And that helped a little bit. But what I realized was, it didn't, it, it, that was a band-aid solution. It didn't solve the underlying problem, which was that I didn't actually understand how my brain worked. Okay. Which I think is a really common, common issue. And I'd love to, I can dig into the more of the solution side of things. <laughs> so, <laughs> well. uh, so if you have to kind of like summarize to someone who's really do not understand the, the way that the brain actually functions, uh, how can you guide them? I mean, like if they come to you and said, Hey, I could not retain any information, Colin. What is the meaning or what does, how does my brain process that? Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a few things. And again, you're the, uh, the psychotherapist. I'm coming from a like very much just applied, like layman standpoint, <laughs> which I think is helpful for a lot of people. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm treating it from, all right, what, what are things that we can, we can experiment with? to figure out how your unique brain works a little bit. And then what are also the things that are more, more universal that we can take advantage of. Okay. So some of the universal things first, we learn through experience and that might seem really obvious, but that's actually a really important point to make because if you're sitting in classrooms and there you have someone lecturing to you, that experience of sitting in the classroom, that's what you're trying to learn from. However, most people, when they're sitting in the classroom, they're not actually paying attention to like the classroom environment so much as they are paying attention to the words that are being said. And that is a very narrow sliver of experience an auditory experience. Essentially, they're processing it from that verbal standpoint. And that is only like one aspect of your total sensory abilities, right? You have your senses of, you know, taste, touch, smell, like all these other senses that you use to take in information the rest of the time anything else you do in the world, um, you're interacting with all of your senses. And so, and this is true. I want to take it out of the classroom because I know a lot of your listeners probably aren't in school. So for professionals, which is actually who I work with more often, they are in a, in that professional capacity, they still end up taking courses to try to upgrade their skills. Maybe they are in a lot of meetings and they just forget stuff. They feel like they've got to take you know, tons of notes just to remember what's going on in meetings, uh, or they just feel like they can't really advance past whatever their plateau is, usually it's because they're processing the information in only one or two ways, which is very narrow. So to make sense of like how you can change that, uh, if you're trying to process information with more, with more senses, what you have to do is you have to think of how can I translate the text or the, the video into a real life experience? How can I make that something that I experience with all of my senses? 
just thinking about that, first of all, will make a huge difference in your learning ability and your ability to change the way that you think. This is something that most people do not practice in their daily life, but it's something that kids do naturally all the time, which is one of the reasons why they learn so fast from our perspective. If you watch a kid who's trying to learn something, especially a very small child, if you, if you watch how they behave, they're constantly interacting with their environment in the same ways over and over and over again. It's very scientific, right? So they'll like push the spoon off the table over and over and over again. It drives you crazy as a parent, but what they're actually doing is they are learning from experimentation and experience how reality functions. Correct. Okay. Through this multi-sensory experience (laughs) and the repetition. And that's something that as adults, we stop doing in a lot of ways. And, And I can, I can, I can prove this to your listeners if they try something real quick. Um, so if you try to imagine a, an experience, you can pretend it's almost like a dream or a memory, try to imagine an experience in your mind and try to take stock of all of your senses. So for example, you could imagine that you are standing in your kitchen and you're cooking some food or something like try to get the smell, that sensation of the smell, try to taste the food in your mind (laughs) while you're sitting there, try to experience fatigue of like running really fast try to imagine all of these sensations and see how well you're able to do it because most adults, at least that I've worked with, which is a lot at this point from all different backgrounds, they really struggle to do this effectively. They find that they're only able to engage one or two other senses. And then the rest of them are really fuzzy. Some people really even struggle to imagine visualizations in their mind. They try to imagine standing in their kitchen and all their cabinets are like blurry. They flicker and, and this is what I'm talking about. It's that internal, it's the percept, it's the perceived environment and how you're interacting with it through your senses. And that happens inside, not just outside. So if people struggle to do that, if you find that you struggle to imagine what something looks like in your mind's eye, what it might feel like, or what it might taste like, or something like that, those are the internal sensory abilities that you use to learn new things or to get experience. And if they're weak, that could be a huge reason why you you're having trouble growing or expanding your skill set. Interesting. Um, if we, I don't know if you remember when we were in high school, or you, maybe you didn't have that problem because you actually brought through high school without any difficulty, but um, it is true, like physiologically speaking, that when you study early in the morning, the brain capacity will be able to absorb more information and retain it versus, mm-hmm. versus learning at night when you're already exhausted and whatever you, uh, you read or you try to study, just disappear the next morning. So yeah. <laughs> is there a time of the day that it is um, it enables adults, not just the kids, but adults to be able to retain more information when it comes to their jobs or to their uh, uh, responsibility, whatever it is, versus a certain time where they will just be like zombies and not record anything? <laughs> uh, well, I think you bring up a good point there, which is obviously, I mean, I can only speak to a small fraction of the reasons for this from a biological level, but obviously if you're exhausted, (laughs) it's harder to learn things. (laughs) That's just true. I know, I know, for example, like if your stress levels are very high, if your cortisol levels are high, that interferes with your hippocampus and its ability to store memories, things like that. So there's lots of different biological factors. You probably know much more about that than I do. (laughs) Um, But at least from my perspective, working with people, what I've found is this is where that self-experimentation aspect is super important. It it would be really easy for me to say like blanket statement, like 
study or try to expand your skills first thing in the morning when you wake up. But the thing is like everybody's mornings are completely different. Correct. <laughs> and for, for some people that might actually be the worst time of day, especially if they've you developed a caffeine dependence or something and they haven't had their morning coffee, <laughs> you know, it's going to be different. So what I would recommend for people, and this is huge, you can do this with anything, start to take notes on yourself, start to collect data on yourself, like try something like you can try a memory exercise, for example, um, try to write down like a list of, of words or something like that like and try to remember it. What's up? Like journaling you're talking about, or when you say, Oh, about you mean collecting data on yourself? Yeah. What I mean? Correct. Yeah, it can be, it can be do- totally different. And a lot of times this, this idea is a little intimidating for people. Okay. So I want to like really simplify it. Um, subjective experience is valuable because you're taking data on you. And so it's your experience that matters. So it doesn't have to be like super scientific, like <laughs> measuring things super exactly. It's, it's how you feel. So if you uh, like try to try to learn something early in the morning, maybe listen to a podcast like this one, like this one, exactly. <laughs> uh, like early in the morning and the next day, see how much you actually remember and you can recall. Okay. And then do it in the evening and then the next day, like see how much you recall, like run these tests on yourself and see, okay, when is my recall actually the best? When am I consuming information effectively? And when am I not? Because if you can figure that out, then you might decide to totally reorganize the way that you do your life. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a big deal. Wow. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, when, when I deal with uh, patients and, uh, you know, they, they deal probably with some addiction and how to be able to eradicate those um, anxiety, depression, et cetera. So um, the, you know, their goal is not to retain much information besides just in the mm-hmm. session to tell them and give them tips like you're doing with all your, your uh, clients. But um, is there like any um, universal, uh, would say, formula that you have in your organization that can work, you know, with anyone? Just if they do those small little steps, it can bring them. Now, of course, everyone has a different life. Everyone have different experiences, etc. So it's not going to be applicable in every cases, but something kind of like a, a template or uh, anything that could work for the majority of people. Is there something that you can offer like that? Uh, specifically for learning, is that what you're talking about? Yes, correct. Yeah. So a, a couple basic things. So the thing I said about uh, learning through experience being really important let me give you a, an example because I know that can be like, okay, well, how do I how do I translate something into an experience that's not an experience? <laughs> you know, there are ways to do that. So like, here's an example. So if I'm trying to remember just a very simple, I'm trying to remember a grocery list or something like that. And this can apply with anything. It doesn't matter what it is. You could, like a student might, if you give it to them, most people in school and, and most professionals, actually, if you give them that list, maybe it's 10 items or 15 items, what are they going to do? They're probably going to, uh, read the list and repeat it over and over again to themselves. That's going to be their strategy. So, so, so think about that real quick. What they're doing is they're taking advantage of the, what's called the phonological loop in their brain, which can only hold, it's in your working memory and it can only hold a very small, relatively small amount of information at a time. And so they're bound by all of those limitations and they're just using auditory, the auditory sensations uh, of repeating the words. And they're also using some, like it, it could be kind of considered like writing too, even if they're not writing it, but, um, but think of how you could actually incorporate more experiences. So for example, if one of the things on the list that I need to buy is cheese, instead of just saying the word cheese and cheese, cheese, cheese <laughs> over and over again to myself, sounds ridiculous. 
<laughs> maybe I could imagine um, like a cow and I could imagine like interacting with the cow, petting its nose, you know, <laughs> oh. make it a more sensory experience. I see. And, uh, or maybe I can imagine, like, I think, uh, I think it's Wisconsin, like one of their sports teams. I'm not a sports guy, so I'm going to sound ignorant, but <laughs> don't they wear like the cheese wedge hats or something like that? So maybe, oh. maybe, you know, that you could imagine like putting one of those on your head or being in a crowd full of people like that. So now you've just taken something that's, you know, just an auditory experience and you've transformed it into using all of your senses and engaging them in a new way. Like, so dangling like information. So like, because if you cannot remember exactly what the cheese is, so you try to kind of like some people who could forget names, like mm -hmm. they meet them and when they meet them again, they're going to say, oh, this name, let's say Colin, um, mm -hmm. they're going to come up with something that is resembling to the word, to the name Colin. And this way, they're going to remember it this way versus just trying to remember your name, Colin, Colin, and come, you know, you know, always yeah. getting it. So yeah, I think it's, uh, it's kind of like appropriating your name with an object or an experience so they will always remember your name yeah and and what you just said memory is associative and so one thing that people often fail to do to take advantage of that is they don't they don't relate ideas to each other they just take individual ideas and just kind of let them float around by themselves mm -hmm. and it's super hard to recall those things because they need to be attached to prior knowledge Correct. And so another way you can do this, you ask for universals. Here's another thing that you can incorporate. So you might be thinking, okay, grocery lists, whatever, who cares? I can just write it down. What yeah. about like a technical subject or I'm trying to learn a new skill that's really difficult. So one of the things that's, that's really powerful is first putting things into your own terms, putting things into your own language. That's really important. Okay. So for example, I've worked with a lot of people who are, are learning something technical, like, like psychology or like AWS or some like engineering and they're, they're trying to get formulas or just these complex ideas. And they always try, I don't know why, but we just have this tendency. We try to consume information in the way it's presented to us. Okay. And we just assume that that's the best way, but it's not, it's very rarely is, is it actually organized in such a way that it, it works well for you. And so the first thing I recommend people do is, is transform it into your own words use analogies and metaphors that you might use to explain it to somebody who doesn't know anything about it. Like, if you have a child, like okay. how would you explain it to a five-year-old? What analogies or metaphors, images would you use to make this complex idea something that they could actually grasp? Okay. And then do those analogies, do they actually cover the complexity? Is there anything that you're leaving out that's really important? Because you want to make sure to get those things. Um, so like, for example, um, like if we're thinking of like a database, okay, a database to somebody who's not familiar can sound like a really complex, complicated, scary idea. But what you could do is just say, well, how would I explain this to a child? I might explain it like, it's kind of like a library. We've been to the library, right? You've been and you've seen the, the shelves with all the books and they're all organized in a specific way so that we can find them easier and the librarian can help us find them easier. A database is just like that. It's information, it's put on these little shelves and they're digital, but they're put on these shelves and so that we can go back and we can find them and they're in the same place every time. So, in order to understand how the database works, I've just used an analogy that's sensory. I can imagine being in a library and experiencing it. And it's something that I already have prior knowledge of. It's something that makes sense to me. And so every time I think of databases, every time I learn something new about databases, what I'd wanna to try to do is how do I bring that in to the library analogy? How can I attach that to that prior knowledge? And so it's easier for me to grasp and explain and articulate. But isn't that done on uh, by default? Let's say the, the paraphrasing part of the information mm -hmm. 
been given, when people take notes in school or when they take notes in the meetings, etc., they don't verbatim write what the person says. They write notes and they change the information based on that. So they, by default, they are paraphrasing the content. You'd be surprised. <laughs> um, the majority of people that I talk to that are compulsive note takers take verbatim notes. Oh, they do. Okay. Mm -hmm. I see. Well, that's, yeah, because maybe the brain can only function in doing one specific uh, task at a time instead of like listening, transforming those words and putting yeah. them into a, a different kind of like a uh, form or whatever it is. So yeah, yeah. That, that can be a bit of challenging to do all at once. So I think maybe a lot of people are not multitaskers. huh? <laughs> yeah, no. And that, that's okay. The, the problem is not with necessarily with taking verbatim notes. It's just, what do you do with it afterwards? Do you actually go back and just read them and read them over and over again the way that they're presented? Or do you then go the extra step to translate them into your own language, into the things you understand, connect them to prior knowledge, create sensory experiences? Most people don't take that step. They just keep repeating things over and over to themselves. And it just doesn't stick that way because it's, it's not associated with other things, which memory relies on. It's a very limited sensory experience. So not taking advantage of all their different senses and what they know, and they're not putting things into their own language at all. So it's, it's almost like speaking a foreign language because somebody else's version of English is not your version of English. You speak your own language. Right. And is that what you were doing in engineering school? You were basically, uh, but, but that was mostly mathematical. It was not like mm -hmm. a history class or anything of that sort. So uh, how, how was that applicable to more technical career versus mm -hmm. something that is just learning by heart? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think, especially when it comes to technical subjects, a really valuable distinction is between synthesis and analysis. Okay. So people have probably heard those terms, but maybe don't know exactly what they mean in that context. So analysis, this is something we, a lot of times, a lot of people learn this in school. Um, and it's, it's when you break things down into smaller pieces, and then you look at the individual pieces and you try to understand how they work. And that can be really useful, but if you don't perform synthesis, which is looking at a system level and understanding how the whole broad system works. So from a whole, like a holistic standpoint. Okay. So an example of this is like many things are, are more than the sum of their parts. In other words, like a car, if you take apart those individual pieces and look at them, like they don't have a function apart from everything else in the car. They all have to be there in order for the car to be a car yeah. <laughs> in order for it to work. Okay. And so many people get stuck in this analysis uh, loop where they're looking at the individual pieces, but they're failing to perform synthesis and look at the system as a whole and understand how it fits within a broader context. So in engineering school, this is what I was doing. I was doing a ton of analysis. They would give me, for example, in calculus three, they'd be like, okay, today we're talking about surface integrals, which if you haven't done them pretty complicated, they look really complicated. There's all these symbols everywhere. <laughs> yes. Yes. But this is and, like, this is calculus in, in space, right? I mean, I know I did Cal 1, Cal 2, I did all, uh, linear algebra, and mm -hmm. Cal 3 is when you study mathematics in space, like in, yeah. uh, in outer space kind of thing. Like uh, Oh, oh, I don't know about outer space. It's more Calc 3 just it tends to take things to uh, kind of the nonlinear plane where you're, <laughs> you're dealing with complex surfaces and things like that. Okay. Um, and so... For example, for surface integrals, if you've never heard of them, that's totally fine. They're complicated. But what I would do is I would look at that specific piece and I try to figure it out. 
I would look at the different parts of the equation and I'd be like, oh, I don't know what that is. And I would just try to memorize the, the equations, which of course, not a good way to learn calc because the equations constantly change. Like it doesn't, <laughs> it's always unique. <laughs> you know, there's some basic rules, but there are always all, all these unique situations. So that was an analytical approach, but a, a synthesis approach, I would have been thinking about, okay, what is the point of a surface integral? Like, why would I ever need to learn this? Where does it fit into the bigger picture? When would I use this in my life? Mm -hmm. And then understanding how do the, how do the individual parts, how do they actually play into the whole, how do they interact with each other in order to help me to accomplish whatever my task is? And that might seem obvious, but you'd be surprised. And you might, if you do your own analysis of yourself and start to think about how you look at new problems, you might be surprised that you are very inclined to immediately jump into the details mm -hmm. without first actually paying attention to what the big picture is. <laughs> and it's extremely challenging, especially when you're in an unfamiliar space to make any sense of the details before you have the big picture. But we do that constantly. And I, I, I encourage your listeners to actually observe themselves because I, I think you will be surprised how, how often when you approach an unfamiliar subject, you have a tendency to immediately jump in the details and get overwhelmed without ever paying attention to the big picture first. That, I guess this is human nature huh? or human. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how can people find your school, uh, Colin, and how can they contact you to be able to be a part of your program? Sure. Uh, yeah. So there's a couple different places. Uh, right now I'm leading a cohort based course on maven.com. So if you go on maven.com and you click on courses, you can scroll down to find discover your inner super learner. That's me. Okay. Um, and we go really like today, we barely scratched the surface of any of this stuff. Just gave a brief introduction, but we go really deep into all this stuff, how you can supersize your memory and learn things faster, regardless of the subject and really partner with your brain in a healthy way rather than fighting it all the time. Um, so that's maven.com. You can check me out there. If you want to read either of the books that I've worked on, uh, out of your wheelhouse. I actually wrote that while I was in college. <laughs> so <laughs> that was written while I was having that whole experience of like realizing what I was doing wrong and how to change it. So that's kind of a cool, uh, a cool book. I'm proud of that one. Um, and then the that's super, that's on Amazon. Yep. Out of your wheelhouse on Amazon. And the other one is the superhuman playbook. And that was uh, written by me as well as 17 other learning experts from all over the world. Wow. Okay. Yeah, really cool project. And it digs into all sorts of really neat ideas that maybe you haven't been exposed to before. So I checked that one out as well. It's also on Amazon. And what is your website, uh, Colin? Uh, my personal website is curiosityjump.com. Okay. And they could get your contact information and, uh, and sign up for any courses there, or they have to go to Maven for that? Uh, I would recommend right now go to Maven. Um, I don't want to overload people with links, but superhumanacademy.com. I'm also there. Okay. Uh, and you can find one-on-one -on -one coaching and, and links to the course and everything like that there as well. Beautiful. Well, that is all the time we have for today's podcast. I do appreciate the time you took out of your very busy schedule to join us, Colin. Now, thank you so much for participating and inspiring out our many listeners. Now, we hope you have all enjoyed today's episode and I'm very excited about the many upcoming guests that we have scheduled for the Happiness Journey podcast filled with inspirational stories just like the one you listened to today. Now, here are a few concluding words of wisdom. You control every thought that crosses your mind on a daily basis. You can think big or small, and it is your choice to decide the path you want to take based on your thoughts. There are so many opportunities out there when it comes to accomplishing every dream you have, so it is up to you to step up and walk towards your destination. Be vigilant, but also be very patient. Nothing will happen overnight, 
as you need to take calculated steps to make sure that you're heading in the right direction. There's no straight line to success as life is like a roller coaster. Many ups and downs, but when the downs are hitting you, make sure you get up quickly enough to keep moving forward. This is how winning is done. So if you want something that bad, you will do anything and everything to make it happen. My name is Dr. Dan Emzelang, and you may all keep pursuing your amazing journey in life.